Come plan your dream wedding all in one day at the 17th annual Newport Bridal Show on March 3rd. Meet with more than 80 top wedding professionals at two of Newport's most romantic venues, Rosecliff and Ocean Cliff Mansions. Visit NewportBridalShow.net to buy your ticket today. Hey there, and welcome to episode three of the Beneath the Sass podcast produced by Wicked Local North Boston. I'm your host, Rob McKittrick. Fred Siegel, creator of the widely popular Twitter account Freezing Cold Taste, will be joining me shortly. But I first wanted to share a quick thought on the Celtics as they prepare for the second half of the season post-All-Star break. Now, I think when we look at the Celtics team compared to teams in past years, it's, it's wildly different. And... I think throughout my whole lifetime, the Celtics have even have either been horribly bad with not a lot of talent and you really didn't care that much about the team. Then they got the big three and they were this very likable team, all team oriented. Yet as I said in last last week's podcast, it was just it was a great team vibe, great team chemistry. Everyone had a role, very likable group, easy to root for. When the big three left, the Celtics were in the rebuilding phase again. And again, they became a very likable team, but in a different way. They had guys like Avery Bradley, Kelly Olenek, um, got hustle guys that, that would do the little things. Uh, and, and they overachieved for, for multiple years. They had guys like Isaiah Thomas, who was, was the little guy and, and, and like, like kind of like a Tom Brady, always had a chip on his shoulder and proved the doubters wrong. And it, it was unbelievable the type of season they had with IT. However, this year's Celtics team, when I say it's wildly different than past years, I think for Celtics fans, one question I'll ask is, how likable is this team, especially compared to teams in the past? I think the biggest thing with this basketball team is that, and I've talked about it in, in last week's podcast, and I, I talked about it with Trevor Haas, who it was great for him to come on. I'm sure he'll come on again in the future, is that this, this Celtics team, they're, they're really not that likable because the chemistry isn't great. And oftentimes when the chemistry isn't great within a team, tempers will flare. Guys might say things they regret to the media. They don't, they don't come across as looking as good. And when, when you play together, you're, just, you're more likable. And I think when you look at the Celtics in general, this is very out of character for this team this season. When you look at the Celtics record, they're 37 and 21. You know, they're they're currently in fourth place, but they are tied with the 76ers who are who are in fifth in the Eastern Conference. They're having a pretty good year. I mean, 37 and 21 is, is a pretty good record. As we said, the expectations were really high going into the season. And although the record may may not be as good as we thought it might be, given the fact that, you know, the Bucks are very talented, the Raptors got Kawhi Leonard, the 76ers got Jimmy Butler, the East is really better than we thought it would be. The fact that they're 37 and 21 and in fourth place isn't really the end of the world. But I think what's been frustrating from a Celtics fan's perspective is that when you watch this team, as I said, they're not really that likable. The chemistry has not been good all year. And I think you can see it. And you've seen it from recent comments, as I talked about in last week's podcast with Marcus Morris. You've seen the Kyrie Irving nonsense, him, him saying he wanted to stay with the Boston Celtics. Then when they asked him about it, he said, I'll let you know in July. And I think when you just look at this team, they got a lot of young talent. And again, I don't want to pee myself from last week's podcast, but 
there just doesn't seem like they have a lot of role guys in this team, and it just doesn't seem like they are meshing well together. And when I look at this basketball team in the second half of the season, and I asked Trevor last week, what is he going to look for in the second half of the season? And he said he's really looking for this team to get out in transition, and I absolutely agree. I think they can really use that young athleticism to their advantage. But beyond any specific basketball um, improvements, I think the biggest thing I'm going to be looking at going forward for the Celtics team as they play the Bucks beginning their second half of the season after the All-Star break tomorrow night, this Thursday, is how is this team going to play together? How is the chemistry? Are there going to be comments from Kyrie and Marcus Morris or the young guys that makes it seem like they're not playing well together and that they don't like each other very much? And that, so more than anything else, because I think when you look at the record, it, it's, they're not in a bad spot. But I think the frustration is that they have not been very likable and they don't look like a team. And when you don't look like a team, the potential for the future doesn't look great. On the flip side, they're 37 and 21. They haven't played great. They're still in fourth place. And if they somehow get it together chemistry-wise, this should be a team that should get to the finals. And again, the Raptors are tough. The Bucks are tough. So it's not going to be easy. But if the Celtics play up to their potential, which is possible in the second half of the season... There's no reason why they can't get to the finals. So I don't want to put a pessimistic view on this because I'm very much optimistic about this team if they can get it together. But I think the biggest thing when you look at the Celtics team, and I don't want to you know, keep repeating myself here, is that it's really the only Celtics team in my lifetime that has underachieved and does not have great team chemistry and is therefore not very likable. As I said, they were not very good in the beginning. Right, they. I mean, they they tanked for a while, then they got the big three. The big three that was the, my favorite Celtics team of all time. Then those guys got traded. They rebuilt. They had to rebuild again and again. They became the little engine that could under Brad Stevens, and they overachieved again. And they are very likable. And so I think when we go into the second half of the season, the key with the Celtics team is going to be how do they look as a team? Are guys moving the ball? Are they going to have isolation plays where it looks like it's Jason Tatum's turn, then Gordon Hayward's, then Terry Rozier because they need to get a look? Or is it going to look like the Celtics team of old? Because I think what's very unique about the Celtics throughout the entire history of the Boston Celtics is that they're always about team first. When you say Celtics basketball, the key with that is that you're moving the ball, making the extra pass, doing the little plays, doing the dirty work to win a championship. And it's not about the individual, but it's about the team. And I think when you look at the Celtics team, the biggest reason for that is Kyrie Irving right now. And when your leader is very selfish and thinking about himself over the team, that is going to impact everyone on the rest of the group. When, you're, when your leader isn't on the same page and is calling out the young guys, then how do you expect the team to match well? He's the guy you're going to look to, and he's calling them out in the media. So, you know, enough of these Kyrie Irving comments talking about the young guys. He's got to influence the young guys and impact them as a leader. He should be making them play better and and building them up and giving them confidence. Not to say the young guys don't deserve any criticism, because they do. And what's going to be interesting, I think, to look at is what is going to be the reaction from Celtics fans in the second half of the season? Because Celtics fans historically are very positive, right? If they, in the playoffs, I think a big moment I always love to see it is when the team gets blown out in the playoffs and they give the team a standing ovation, which I thought was a very special moment. And Doc and KG talked about it as well as one that they always remember. When you get blown out in game six and you're going to go on the game, the road to game seven and 
the Celtics fans give you a standing ovation. There's not a lot of, a lot of places that will do that. However, the positivity from Boston Celtics fans will only go so long. You're still in Boston. You have to remember that. And I think the Celtics have been fortunate in that their first half struggles, and I say struggles loosely because, again, they had a pretty good first half of the season, but their first half underachievement is probably a better way to say it. The first half underachievement was really not discussed as much because of what was going on in Boston, right? The Red Sox won the World Series. The Patriots won the Super Bowl. As I said, I I I tell my friends, I try to focus on one season at the time, and then I really go all in once once that season is over. <laughs> one, 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 one World Series to the Super Bowl, and now we're on to the NBA. And I think all of Boston will be looking at the Celtics and critiquing them a lot more closely than they have before. So I think it is going to be key for how the Celtics start out the second half of the season because if they start off with the same sorts of things that they did in the first half where they're blowing big leads or they're not playing together or they're calling out their teammates, Celtics fans will be all over them and the boost will start to happen. I guarantee you that. And this year, more than any other year, from the very beginning, has reminded me of the Red Sox teams that have a lot of talent but don't mesh well guys underachieve their issues in the clubhouse and the difference between Red Sox and Celtics fans is Red Sox fans are very quickly to boo and very quickly to call you out just look at David Price David Price had an injury right David Price had a terrible start to his to his tenure in Boston he was injured Celtics fans I mean Red Sox fans did not give David Price much of a a leeway as they shouldn't have when you look at Gordon Hayward, and yes, I know he had a horrible injury, but it's at this point, if Gordon Hayward played for the Boston Red Sox and he was a baseball player, fans would have a lot less patience for Hayward. I will tell you that. And again, I think you need to give Hayward time, but I think the it really shows the difference between Red Sox and Celtics fans. But, I, but to finish my thought here, I think that only takes you so far, and Celtics fans are going to get restless if this team doesn't start off well in the second half of the year so as i as i close as i close my my opening celtics take here before we talk to fred siegel which should be really one of the more interesting interviews i've ever done so make sure to stay tuned for that as i'll talk to him in in a couple of minutes is second half of the season what am i going to be looking for from the celtics the main thing is chemistry the main thing is what are guys going to be saying in the locker room how will guys respond after losses and how will that impact how Celtics fans view this team and their reaction to them, whether it, you know the comments on Sports Talk Radio or whether they boo them at the game. Because as I said before, Celtics fans are historically positive for good reason, right? The Celtics always play the game the right way. They always have. But this season is very different, and they have a ton of talent. And if they put it together, it could be something special. They may not beat the Warriors this year, but they should surely be able to get to the NBA Finals. And if Kyrie Irving stays, don't even get me all into that, but if Kyrie Irving stays, the future is really bright for this team. And I think the key will be watching how they perform in the second half of the season. Now let me bring in Fred Siegel, the creator of the wildly popular Twitter account, Freezing Cold Takes. Fred, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on. All right, so you are the self-proclaimed cold take king, uh, it says on, on your Twitter account. Let me start with how you created the, the account in the first place. So I saw the, it jo- the, the account joined Twitter in 2010. Um, when and how did you initially get the idea to create this hilarious account? Well, the account joined Twitter in 2010, but Freezing Cold Takes actually started in November 2015. That was a different account. 
I don't remember what it was, but I just switched it to freezing cold takes. So I had a different account that started in 2010 and, and I really only started freezing cold takes in November, 2015. So I started it in one day. I, I had just been a frequent user of Twitter and somebody who really went on to learn about sports and, and, just like everyone else consumes their sports news and um, topics that way. And I uh, just kept noticing all the journalists would say different things and tweet different things. And they were pretty bold declarations and, and I'd remember them. And when they got it wrong, I would just think to myself, Oh, they, they, they totally missed this. Maybe I'd send it to my friends. And um, I just did it as an idea just to, to mess with them. I didn't think it was going to become very big. I just uh, decided to change whatever account I had, uh, a separate account I had, the freezing cold takes, um, add old takes exposed, and it just it became much bigger than I thought. I was going to take tweets and anything that people got wrong and post it, re repost it. And, um, and it it got much bigger than I thought it would. And was there a specific moment that you thought to yourself, wow, this is actually turning into something? Well, there were times at the beginning when I knew that it was going to be fun and um, I was going to have a, a group of people who really liked it. And um, I didn't think it was going to become like really big or a huge part of my life. I thought it would be something I'd do three or four times a day. Uh, but then Sports Illustrated picked it up. Um, I got a, I got a direct dress message from Sports Illustrated. They want to do a feature on it on their Media Watch column. And at that time, Richard Deitch was the one who wrote the column from Sports Illustrated on the feed. And and during that time, there was I don't think there was any function where you could retweet yourself. Deitch would post it like four times a day um, when he, the day he put the day he, the article came out and he may have posted four separate times where he tagged my feed. And at that time it just blew up. Um, that blew up my feed from about 2,500 followers probably to about 15,000. And then it just kept going and going and going and going and going. Yeah. Cause I saw that you, and yeah, I read the article. I saw you had about 2,500 followers to this day, you have around 239,000. Uh, how, how did it get to that point? Was it just a progression of uh, the Sports Illustrated article? I, I know some people started talking about, about you in the sports media. Was it a slow progression or was it just this huge burst of uh, increase in followers? It, was, it became a progression. It, came in, it, it became a progression where people started to figure it out. Um, and... At that time, I would get a lot of requests to talk to the media. A lot of times people would mention uh, on, in various TV shows, they'd mention me. And um, I wasn't really watching, but I would get a, a somebody, a follower would tell me, a follower who was watching would tell me and say, look, um, Dan Patrick just mentioned you or uh, somebody on uh, an NBA countdown. Suspension you. So it was, uh, it's, it, that was always fun. It still happens sometimes. And then sometimes I do TV shows and things like that. 
What was the either your, the funniest, the coolest, most unexpected interaction you've had with whether someone online, so, someone face to face that you would not have expected um, from from this account? Uh, well, I there's there's a lot, there's a lot, a lot. You know, it, it's funny, Robbie. It's funny to to think back about it because when I first started doing this. Um, I would get direct messages. Maybe I, I, I would interact with people. I don't know. Sometimes I would get direct messages. Sometimes I talk to people. Maybe like uh, Scott Van Pelt or um, uh, Keith Olbermann or someone like that who I'd watched when I grew up, and I would interact with them. And I would say, uh, "This is incredible!" Like I was interacting with someone who I grew up with and everything. Now it because of social media kind of dilutes the, 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 I guess the novelty or the, the coolness of talk as, as much as I, I don't mean it like in a bad negative way. I just saying it kind of dilutes the, the, the glory of talking to people on the internet or, or interacting with someone that, you haven't you see on TV or you you, you kind of like or you watch every day because back before social media, if you saw somebody or interacted with them that was on TV, it was it was it was very rare. So you would it would be it would be much more of an instance where whoa, there's this person in person. There's a person I'm talking to. There's a person I'm chatting with online. Now it happens all the time. Um, with everybody. I mean, you could write, you could be just anybody on a, a, a random person with a Twitter account. You can write to somebody uh, and they'll respond back to you a lot of the time. So it kind of, it, it kind of changes it. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point. I mean, look how I got you on the podcast, just a simple yeah. uh, direct, t- direct Twitter, Twitter message. And you really can, can interact with some people that you wouldn't have uh, if not for social media. Right. Like you could probably get some people to come on your podcast quickly that um, beforehand it would be a lot bigger effort and maybe they wouldn't even come on. Uh, maybe they would have limited, very limited scope of, of what they would uh, choose to go on and things like that. Uh, now, now you can probably write anybody uh, and ask them if they come on. A lot of them would. Well, I'm curious. I had a question um, for you about social media, as long as we're on the subject. Um, in, in terms of hot takes, do you think there are more uh, hot takes nowadays um, because there is this outlet of social media and the internet? Or do you think that people are communicating in, in a different way and are more opinionated and, and give these bold takes more than they used to? I think they do do it more than they used to. I think it, it's in, a lot of people find it, in media, find it as a necessity. I think it's something that generates traffic. For them, it generates a following for them, and I think it's a lot more competitive. Uh, I think back when ESPN had their own programming, and they probably were one of the only sports to outlets, if the, if not the only, or um, uh, local media, there would be uh, one or two radio stations, and you could only either watch ESPN, and if you wanted to listen on the radio, you could only listen to your local stations. It was a lot easier to talk about what you wanted to talk about. But now you have to pick and choose 
because people have short attention spans and they need to be see something that's bold. Um, they need to see something that's disputable, that's arguable, that's uh, uh, that's provocative. And there's so many outlets, and there's so much competition. There's so the space is small. There's tons of people trying to make it. That just being just taught, well giving a well reasoned, uh, soft spoken opinion, it's not going to work. Or at least it's not going to work if you want to generate a big following. And I think that people find it out of necessity that they have to uh, be more provocative and much louder. And do you th- do you think uh, there was a certain point where that changed? And I guess a second question for you is. Um, if, if you, let's just say Twitter and social media existed, um, I guess many years ago, do you think that your Twitter account, um, would be as successful? Well, if I started at that time, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think, I think people love, people have been, um, had a love hate relationship with the journalists and the media that the forever. Um, I just think it's more documented now. Right. So, I mean, if there was a Twitter account back then, then there would be there would be tweets. Um, it's a lot harder, obviously, when there's when there's not as much TV. Uh, you can't really record TV or have access to the clips as much back then, and um, there weren't as many tweets. Also, there were less hot takes in columns. Columns people have time to finesse what they write, and. Um, they have time to really kind of put it in a way that doesn't sound as much like a hot take. Uh, there were less hot take columns uh, before, I guess, before the, the social media blew up. But um, there, there was still, it started to gain more traction with the hot take when the internet really started to come in. Oh, now I want to switch gears because I, I think people are, at least I'm fascinated, I'm sure many people are fascinated with how you actually run the site. So a, cu- a couple questions for you about that. First of all, is it just you? And if so, how are you keeping track of all of these statements online? I know people direct message you, but how, how intensive I- is it to run this account? Now it's not as intensive as it used to be. Um, yeah, it is just me. Um, I don't have any help. I have help from everybody. All the followers will send me everything. I'll rely on it a lot now. But uh, I think people, I, I kind of help create the myth of the fact that I have a big vault full of things that people say. But it's not, I <laughs> right. don't have it. I don't even have it. I, I do it as a joke, as a way of engaging with people sometimes where I put the pen emoji like I'm writing it down um, when someone makes a hot take at present time. And what I do that for is just to engage, just to have another way of, of making content, but, um, I really either I'm great. My skill is searching. Uh, I used to be a lawyer. Uh, I lived when, when I worked a lot of it, what I did every day was search, whether it was through legal websites or, or, or case law websites. And and there's a very similar uh, function to how you do that. With Twitter, it has a lot of the same codes and commands, and there's a lot of the same concepts. And I, I, I'll just search when something happens. I'll search for old tweets. 
now I'll get stuff coming in all the time, no matter what, from everybody when something happens. And how many direct, message, direct messages will people send you a day? I get like 50. Yeah. Wow. A lot of them are the same tweets that I already posted. Right. So, um, so I, I, those I just ignore. Yeah, the, the emoji of you writing, I think, is the funniest thing. For whatever reason, it <laughs> yeah. just cracks me up every single time that you're going to put in your vault. Um, I, I wanted to talk about, um, and, and, I, and the, the fact that you're a lawyer is fascinating, so I'm, I'm going to get to that as well. But the, the profile picture, I think, in a nutshell, is just really, really summarizes why you're so funny. Um, so if for, anyone, if for anyone who does not know, the, the profile picture on Twitter... Jamal Adams, uh, <laughs> NFL player for the Jets, tweeted on 12-19-17, I won't miss another Pro Bowl, believe that. And you replied to Jamal Adams, Jamal, rooting for you, but I put this in my vault. And he said, make it your profile picture. And you have the screenshot of that conversation. <laughs> ha- has Jamal Adams, uh, have you interacted with him about that? What was his thought on that? He didn't reply to that. I don't, I don't remember him replying to it. Uh, I, I, I may have missed it if he did. There's, I have to mute, I have to mute the, the post the second I post it. I have to mute the, the notifications to it because it'll freeze my phone. So, oh, wow. uh, yeah, so I, 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 don't, I don't usually get to see a lot of the comments afterwards, but I don't think he did. Um, athletes have commented on their uh, posts before. Um, media certainly does, uh, either by recognizing it or probably blocking me. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, uh, yeah, they, they recognize it. I don't remember him commenting on it at that time. Right. And you mentioned in a podcast that you'll get direct messages from people in the media about other journalists who you know the, they don't like the other journalists, which is why they're giving you that information. Um is is there a person who seems to be the most disliked person in the media? Um, is there a per? Well, I I I can't see any specific person that people have a grudge against. Um, it's usually one person against another. Uh, no, I don't think that there's any person I could tell is dislike. I know people who are. I could tell who generally is disliked by people, but I don't really have that. Uh, I don't really have one single person that everybody is is pushing against. Um, uh, there, there are certain people who tr- who 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 bother others um, more than others, but I, I can't really know specific person. Yeah, and it, it seems like you have a lot of fr- fun with Mike Francesa, for example. Oh yeah, well. That's not that. There's an account, uh, Funhouse, at back after this, A F T A T H I S, and he is the Francesa chronicler. I would never be able to get that material if it wasn't for him. He listens to every Francesa show and has it in his head and, and has him saved and is able to go back and find clips of him contradicting himself and put them together. Uh, it's, it's one of the, it's one of the greatest things. So he deserves all the credit for that. I just retweet his tweets, but Francesa is one of the funniest. I get a kick out of him. He just doesn't care. (laughs) Is he your favorite person to, uh, retweet when he says something? One of them, one of them. Cowherd, uh, is one. 
there's that guy from the Daily News, Manish Manish Mehta. He's pretty. He he does. He makes a lot of bold takes. Play Travis. Uh, he's he could get some stuff dead wrong. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so yeah, a lot of those guys. But Francesca's you because know, his are so funny. Right. It's the way he says it. <laughs> Has uh, have you ever heard uh, a, rea- a reaction from Francesca about something you put on Twitter? No, no, he. It's really, it wouldn't be me. It would be that account back after this. And he's had, um, they've had issues with him because Francesa, at one point they told him to stop posting the things, the clips, because they gave him one of those, do not post anymore, it'll be a copyright issue. They were going to shut him down, which they could do. But uh, in this day and age, that's not really the best strategy because that account is, uh, bringing attention to Francesa, which is what you want. But, um, but he's never said anything about, I think he knows about the, the account, the, the Funhouse account, but I, I, I don't think he really knows that much about it, but I do his, all of his producers and WFAN and everybody know about it and love it. So (laughs) (laughs) that's great. Um, I got a few more questions for you because I don't want to take too much of your time because I know you got hot takes to expose <laughs> out there on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, I'm sure you've had a lot of backlash uh, from from journalists, from sports figures. I feel like you would have to with having this sort of website um, or uh, not website, but uh, Twitter account. Um, I heard one time you said someone described you as someone who lives in your mom's basement, oh, yeah. which, which, which isn't the worst insult you could get. Um, <laughs> what, what is the worst thing someone has ever said to you, uh, either online or in person, if you have one? Uh, I've never had anyone say anything bad to me in person. But, uh, I mean, I get bad tweets all the time. Um, there, there are a lot of people who don't like me, but I, I get a lot of backlash. Uh, especially from fans, if I post something about their team, but um, yeah, I've had a lot of people. There was one guy who wrote that. Um, he, there's a few people actually who block anybody who tags me to them. Uh, and there's one guy who said, "Yeah, I have no respect for that." I don't even remember his name, but uh, he, he's a writer, and I have no respect for anybody who tags me. Tags old takes exposed to me, you will automatically get blocked. Um, other than that, I haven't had too much crazy stuff said to me. I think people are very, very cautious. When the, when the, when it, that was Tom Luganville from ESPN who said that I live in my mom's basement, but that was way before the account was big. Now that the account is big, if, if somebody, uh, makes that kind of criticism about me, um, I don't really say much. All I do is retweet it. <laughs> right. They get, they get so much backlash that makes them look petty. So I think that they're very cautious about dealing with that. And, and, and it, they, they realize it's a bad look for them and it will be seen by a lot of people. So I, I don't get that many of it, that, that much of it, to be honest. And, you know, the great thing about your, your, your account is that you're really holding people and journalists accountable for what they say. You know, words matter, and you make sure that if someone's wrong about their opinion, you put it out there. Um, you know, you're really the overseeing authority and police of, of the Internet for, for <laughs> bad takes everywhere. 
do you feel that power and responsibility? And is that something you wanted to to focus on, on for this account uh, on purpose? It's not what I plan on focusing on on purpose. No, um, I plan on just being like a troll to mess with people back when I first started it. Um, I, I feel that there is an over sense of, of power. I, what I do feel for, I feel for the journalists and people sometimes that, uh, when they tweet something that I get tagged to it like 50 times and that's really, bo- that's really annoying to them. Uh, like when they first tweet something, someone will tag right. me like, hold this, put this <laughs> in the vault. I'll get the same tag 50 times. So um, I get that, uh, but I, I think my favorite thing that that's come about from this, and what I'm most proud of, is the fact that I've gotten a few, um, I think more than a few, very many of the writers and the journalists, the TV personalities, to not take themselves as seriously, to realize that when they get something wrong, they when they initially first got really mad. Now they just retweet and laugh at themselves, realizing that this isn't even bad. It doesn't affect anything. Um, I don't think I've, I've even come close to making someone's career any different by posting anything. And that's not my intention at all. Um, I, I would never post, uh, maybe I have in the past uh, once or twice, felt bad about it. I don't remember doing it maliciously, but I would never post anything about somebody that would cause them to lose their career. Um, somebody they posted in the past, I wouldn't do it. Uh, um, only thing I really post is you were wrong. And now, and I want to uh, wrap it up here by kind of coming full circle. You had mentioned you were a lawyer. Um, I, I believe I, I read that you were a full-time lawyer for eight years. Um, I want, um, do you mind taking me back to your decision uh, to quit your job, uh, you know, full-time job, very secure, uh, probably making a decent salary, uh, t- to then deciding to quit the job as a lawyer to, to run Freezing Kill Takes full-time? Um, what what was going through your mind at that point? And if, I guess, have you ever regretted that decision? Um, well, it, you know, the decision, these types of decisions, you know, when people make decisions like that, and I'm here to tell you, it doesn't, it's not like something that happens, um, in one day. This was like two years coming for me. I never liked being a lawyer very much. Um, I, I may not have understood that cause it's the only thing I did really for a career. I may not have understood that, uh, there's a way that you can, um, go about your day without like kind of dreading doing what you're doing. And I wanted that, but it took a while for me to actually kind of transition. I have a family and everything. So you need some, you need a lot of support, um, from your family. And, uh, but I, I mean, it's just one of those things. You'll always be happier if you're, if you're doing something that you want to do or, or you're in kind of involved in something that you want to be doing. And I, I don't necessarily feel like I want to be the cold take guy for the rest of my life. But I do like, I do enjoy pu- pu- putting out content on the internet. And that's where that leads. It could lead to a lot of different other things. But at, right now, I'm mostly the cold take guy. But I think that, 
that's what I want to do. So I'm much happier now because every day I wake up and I want to do something. Now I make significantly less money, <laughs> but uh, hopefully um, I won't after a while. So uh, I don't regret it even one bit, not even the slightest bit. And that, that's really to the point, if you ever want to, if anyone's ever listening and they, they really want to get out of what they're doing, um, make sure you do it at a point where you know you're not going to regret it. Because I knew when I left, I knew I was never going to regret it, ever. Could have Anything could have happened, and I would never have regretted leaving. So um, I knew that when I first left. And if you, if you know that, you'll never regret something, and you, 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 you probably consider doing it. Um, so that's just a word of advice. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree. <laughs> My philosophy on life and, you know, I'm only 23 turned 24 in March. So, yeah. you know, take this with a grain of salt, but I've always thought, you know, you do what you, uh, every decision I try to make, I, I try to do it so that I won't regret it in the end. So I think it's good advice. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of my friends will hope, hopefully be listening to this. And, you know, if you're stuck in the office at a job you don't like, you know, may, maybe, uh, may, may, maybe you'll make someone's day and, uh, inspire them. But <laughs> yeah, if you, I mean, it gets harder as the years go by. I mean, it took me two years because I have a family. Um, if I didn't have a family, it would have taken me two months. So, uh, I think when you're young, and especially when you got your age, um, now is the time. If you know that your future looks bleak in terms of emotionally doing what you're doing, then phew, don't waste another minute. All right. Well, Fred, uh, you know, last question for you. I could ask you a million. This has already gone longer than I thought it would go just because it's, it's so interesting to talk to you. I think your, your perspective is very unique. It's a really interesting site. Uh, you know, Twitter, Twitter account, Instagram account, and everyone should check it out. Um, yeah, I have heard before that you don't want to be the, just the cold take guy, uh, forever. Are there any, do you have any future goals going forward? Um, any, anything new you're going to try out? Well, I'm trying to make some different sites on Instagram. Um, and I may, you know, move into the video game, but, uh, right now, yeah, I, I have a, I have a, I have a site on Instagram that posts old clips of, of games. If you, if you see it, this day in sports clips, it's already growing uh, substantially. And um, it just posts old games from, from this particular day, so like February 20th. But it could be any year. Um, so February 20th, 19, uh, or 2012, uh, someone hit a shot for UConn to beat Villanova. Um, and he posted that clip stuff like that. It's very interesting to me. That's like stuff that I enjoy. So anything related to, uh, the past and, and research, re researching old sports clips and, and, and newspaper columns and things like that. that that's a lot of the direction that I'm going, but, uh, it could be very, you could make good, decent money on Instagram with a lot of different accounts. So that's a lot of what I'm doing. I'm, um, I, uh, uh, I just plan on making a lot of a lot more accounts and a lot different and promoting content in a different in a lot of very many different ways. So um, I like being by myself and and being able to just run whatever I want to do. 
Nice. Well, I wish you all, all the best with that. Um, is there anything else you want people to know about? Anything you want to promote? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, follow, follow you on Twitter. Yeah, and on Instagram. I'm at Freezing Cold Takes on Instagram. So uh, you can follow me there too. All right, great. Well, if there's nothing else, Fred, uh, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you Hef, for having me. All right. Well, you can follow Fred on Twitter at Frizz527. Make sure to also follow the Freezing Cold Takes Twitter account at Old Takes Exposed and his Instagram account as well. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to check out my other episodes on the Wicked Local North of Boston website. And also make sure to tune in for next week's episode. We have Christopher Tyler and Steve Peralt will be joining me, so it should be a good one. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Robbie McKittrick for the latest podcast information. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>